for the gift he's been to our church and welcome Pastor Jim Simbola. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be here tonight. There's a good spirit in your church. There's a good spirit here. So it's an honor to be here. And this is your first uh, kind of prayer emphasis meeting on a Thursday night. Am I correct? And the pastor is going to lead you here on a monthly basis and then wherever God leads you. A lot of memories flooding through as he started to lead Spirit of the Living God. Can I just give you a little personal history about me and this building? So a lot of years ago, my wife and I began on a little rundown building, the Brooklyn Tabernacle on Atlantic Avenue between 3rd and 4th, just short distance from here. So... Um, a man who was in the Brooklyn Tabernacle before I even got there is sitting here. I see Brother Ali and his wife, Sister Ali, who are deacons in our church. Stand up, Brother Ali. Stand up, Sister Ali. Give them a warm welcome, okay? So they were living... On the in the in the second floor of the of the church where Carol and I began, and the church had gone down to less than 15, 18 people, 11 people on Sunday, sometimes. And the first offering we took was $85 was the total tithes and offering. I was new in the ministry, so my wife knew we already had a ba- one baby, our oldest girl. So then she had to get a job. I had to get a job. I was a basketball player in high school and college, so I did some coaching. And um, hey, it is what it is. You do what you have to do. You're in the ministry. So after the church began to stabilize and we started emphasize the prayer meeting, that's the truth. Brother Ali, Sister Ali will tell you that's when things began to change. Some people were coming in, but then God just began to bless in ways you can't even describe. So I was friends with uh, folks at Teen Challenge in Brooklyn, and I got this idea. Our building could only seat a couple hundred people. Then I said, you know, let's hold monthly rallies and try to reach out to people who don't know Jesus because a church can't circle the wagons and just talk to yourself you got to be reaching. Amen? Amen. Because that's the last thing the Lord told uh, his disciples was go into all the world and preach the gospel. Bible studies have their place. Prayer meetings have their place. But the main thrust of us being here on earth is we got to share the gospel. So we, we, where, where are we going to have the meetings? So I said, well, I know a big auditorium, the Baptist Temple. So I went to the pastor of the Baptist Temple, Pastor Carl Berg, then, back in the day, and I said, brother, I'd like to rent your building. They were not using it. They were using uh, this auditorium here. And I said, just on Friday nights, I'd like to uh, rent it once a month. 
I take that back, on a Saturday night. Saturday night. So we started once a month. The first one we did, the former gang leader, Nikki Cruz, came. And the subject of the Cross and Switchblade book, he was the, in the Mau Mau uh, gang. And the, he was the... Um, he was not the gang leader, but he was in charge of Warlord. So then Nikki gets up, so you know a little bit more about your building, and he starts to break down, and he says, you know, I can't believe I'm sharing the gospel here at the Baptist Temple, because on the front steps, that's the front of the building right over there, right? And the front steps, I had this guy out and I was ready to just kill him. I had him beat up, but now I was gonna just totally mess him up. And some cops came and I had to leave him there, a bloody mess. Thank God he didn't do worse. And I had to take off. And now here I almost killed someone on those steps and now I'm preaching in that building. Isn't Jesus amazing? So, so, for a couple of years, three years, every month, basically, we would have uh, Andre Crouch was here with us, and David Wilkerson, my friend Don's older brother, and, and just all kinds of people trying to reach people with the gospel, and then we would follow up on them. So this building has a lot of memories. I was so sad when I heard about the fire. But I go back further. I think it's either in that room over there when I walked in, or I think it's in that room there. My mom and dad, my dad was a Christian and started drinking when I was 12 or 11. And then for the next 22 years, he was out of it. Lost his job, beat my mother half to death or tried to. I grew up in a hell and home, couldn't have friends over. Never knew what I would meet, so I just would go out to the parks and playgrounds. I played in every playground in Brooklyn, playing basketball. It was all city at Erasmus Hall High School. Part of the development of my game was I didn't want to go home because of my dad. So when I was real little, before he started drinking, I was six years old, I'm thinking. And my mother said, for this week in the summer, you got to get on the Foppish Avenue bus with me. Now it's the 41. She said, I'm putting you in vacation Bible school for a week. You need it. <laughs> and I said, where are we going? Oh, it's a place called the Baptist Temple. And my mother brought me here every day. And I remember coloring and cutting out a picture of Zacchaeus was a wee little man. <laughs> And he was that man who climbed in the tree to see Jesus, right? In this building at six years old. So those are sacred memories, right? The, older, the more you walk with the Lord, you treasure moments where God was getting a hold of your heart, right? God was getting a hold of your heart. So I just want to share briefly and lead you to pray. And then your pastor is going to lead you. I really esteem your pastor. That He is what you call the real deal. You know, there's a lot of ministers, and they're running all kinds of churches, and a lot of people on TV. Some are for real, 
I know them. Some are not for real. I know some of them. <laughs> some are con artists. Some are swindlers. They're after your money. You have a real man of God Amen. as your pastor here. So um, I want to help him, and I've told him that I'm there for him. He doesn't need me, just has the Lord, but I'm there to help him in any way. So now we're going to go all the way back and listen, look at me. This is the end of the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, okay? And it says this. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth. This is verse uh, 25 of chapter 4. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. When? At that time. Why? We don't know. Where? We don't know. All we know is, at that time, what? Men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and for the most part, and that word is a very interesting word, the word to call. Men began to call on the name of the Lord. The first meaning of the word is to cry out for help, to ask for assistance, to beseech, to, to petition, to ask. I need help. Okay? Now, we don't know why they did that. There was no Bible. There was no verses to stand on. There were no churches. There's some instinct that came in people when Enosh was born that God is not only creator, but God is alive and will intervene in your life if you ask him. He won't do it automatically. But when you call on him, he will answer. No one knows why they did that then. What, who taught them that? It must have been some instinct that God put in them. Did you know they must have started saying that there's a God who, when there's no rain and already sin had come into the world, did you know when there's no rain, if you call on God, he can send rain? Did you know that when your baby's sick, you can call on God who gave you the ability to have that baby and God can heal that baby? No one knows how this ever started. But for the first time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. The second meaning of the word, which developed, Hebrew words developed into multiple meanings, is to worship, to adore, to celebrate to thank, to offer up praise as you call upon his name. Not just call for help, but to call out, you are worthy, you are awesome, like our pastor was in both English and Spanish before the meeting began. And then the word got a third meaning. It meant to tell abroad, to publish, to advertise. 
to call out and tell others, do you know about this God who you can call upon and he will help you? Remember, no Jesus, no cross, no Ten Commandments, no Abraham, no Jews. It was at that time that religion began. The first people who really belonged to God were not Jews, not Christians. The name of the first people that ever belonged to God were the people who called on the name of the Lord. Oh, he's different. Why? He calls upon the name of the Lord. No Baptists, no Protestants, no Catholics, none of this stuff. How did religion begin? Man began to realize he's real. He's alive. He's awesome. I can call out when I have need help. I can cry out to him when I've messed up. This, is a, this was more important than the invention of the wheel or the uh, discovery of fire. This is the greatest moment maybe in the history of the world before Jesus came. Men began to call out to God. And that's how religion began. This is why God says, my house shall be called a house of what? Not preaching. Not teaching. Not singing. That all has a place. I'm trying to do it now. But my house should be called a house of prayer. Why? Because when we pray, we return to the original plan. That people need God and God wants us to talk to him. Isn't this awesome that we have a God like that who says, I want you to feel your need and I want you then to come to me. Don't live in depression. Come to me and I'll help you. And I love you so much. I made it this way so you'll stay close to me. That you won't walk off by yourself. So the original people, the seed of Seth, that was the godly seed. There was the seed of Cain and then there was the seed of Seth. Abel was nomas. He was God. But the godly seed was Seth. And who belonged in the line of Seth to God? Everyone who called upon the name of the Lord. But let's follow this through. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, you see this phrase always popping up. David says, oh, my enemies can say they, what they want, but God will answer me when I call to him. That was his boast. Not that I have the most money. Not that I have the best education. No, but I have a God. I'm in relationship with a God who when I call, he answers me. But let's go further. Who is a God like unto you? We're like, the, the, the psalmist says, we're a different people than anyone else in the world. Who else has a God who calls, comes near to them when they call upon him? They have chariots and they have horses, but we have something. No, the Philistines don't have it. The Amorites don't have it. Nobody has this. We have a God who draws near to us to help us when we call upon him. Egyptians don't have that. They call on their gods. They're, those gods are dead gods. But we have the true God. How, how is the true God known? He comes to help us when we, notice, when we call upon him. And then we take that all the way. I'm skipping a lot of places that I could stop at, but God, I don't want to talk long. We go into the New Testament. God is rich in mercy to everyone who calls upon him. Who does he show his mercy to? White people, black people? No. 
Hispanics? No. He's rich in mercy to everyone who calls upon him. For the Bible says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this calling on God is so precious that God keeps them in bowls in heaven. Not sermons. Not songs. My wife's won six Grammy Awards with her choir. The Grammy Awards don't impress God. But prayers. The Bible says they're so precious they never die. Did you know that when you and I pray tonight, that prayer will never die? Prayers don't have an expiration date. They keep going up like incense to God. And they're so precious that he keeps them in bowls in heaven. The book of Revelation brings that up. Because we're going back to how it all began. And that's what you're really doing as a church now. Did you know I'm not a golfer? Used to play, obviously, a lot of basketball and other sports. Played some tennis. But I've read, and it fascinates me, that golfers, the greatest golfers, when their game goes off, they'll go to a, a coach, a swing coach. And the coach will say, okay, you're, you're not playing well, so let's start. Now, these guys have made tens of millions of dollars playing golf, but some's off. So the swing coach will come, whether it's Tiger Woods or whoever. This guy now is, is a Christian, Spieth, number one player in the world. They'll go, okay. They don't look at what kind of cleats they have on, golf shoes. They don't care about the glove. They don't care what they're wearing. They say, okay, show me how you hold the club. How I hold the club? I've been playing golf for 12 years. I won $18 million. Yeah, but show me how you hold the club. They go back to the basics. Because if you hold it wrong, you're going to hit it wrong. It's like when you weren't shoot a foul shot. How do you hold the ball? How do you dribble the ball? They go back to the basics. You could be wearing a $235 pair of LeBrons or, or Air Jordans. It ain't going to help you if you don't know how to hold the ball. You got to go back to the basics. So they say, okay, now how do you stand? How do I stand? I've been hitting this thing millions of times. No, go back to the basics. And that's the way it is in our Christian life. When we go off. When we start getting cold and we start drifting, you got to go back to basics. You don't need some fancy new teaching. you got to go back to basics. And what's the automatic basis? Is he's rich in mercy to everyone who calls upon him. Let's put our hands together and say amen. So, I want to leave out a lot of other lessons I learned along the way because uh, you don't need long sermons when you gather to pray. And we've already had some sweet praying going on here before the pastor even uh, spoke. So all through the years, and this will be for you so true, so listen to me. Faith without which you can't please God, has to express itself. Faith without works is what? Death. But the first work of faith, if you really believe in God, is to pray. 
People who say they believe in God and never talk to him, it's a fantasy. Un fantasia. They, when you believe just in your head, it, it, it's different. When you believe in your heart that there's a living God, how many believe that God is alive today? Just that there. Then when that faith grips your heart and you know that he's rich in mercy to everyone who calls on him, you're going to be led and, and encouraged and you're going to get a new instinct when in trouble, pray. You'll find that out in the New Testament. Wherever there was trouble, they prayed. Peter gets thrown in the slammer, they pray. They get threatened not to uh, preach anymore. They gather, they pray, pray, pray. They're gathering to pray. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Paul says to Timothy, first of all, then, I want men everywhere and women to lift up holy hands and pray. First of all, not second of all. Because if we're weak in calling on God, we're going to be weak. So, I, I knew these things. We started to emphasize our prayer meeting through a, a, an encounter I had with the Lord on a boat in Florida when I was very, very sick. And um, as a young minister, so now things go on. And the church is growing and we start other churches and my wife is making albums and, and um, all kinds of things, good things are happening. And uh, my oldest girl hits about 16, 17 and she starts getting away from us. And a wall starts to grow between us. And she's not just drifting from us, she's drifting from God. And she drifted from God first, and then she ends up drifting from us. Very rebellious. She meets some guy in the church, not in the street, in the church. You know, when your doors are open to everybody, everybody can come. And not everybody is up to good motives. That's, that's a given. Not everybody who comes in the house of the Lord is in the Lord. They could be just visiting or cruising or who knows what. That's why the Bible says we have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. So now things are getting really sideways with my daughter. I tried everything. You think I wouldn't fight for my daughter? Look at me. Do I look like someone that wouldn't care for my daughter? Tried yelling, screaming, crying, manipulate with money. You know, you do what you can do. She doesn't get better, she gets worse. I try to send her to a school, a Christian school, thinking maybe that could change her. She gets kicked out of the school. This guy's showing up wherever she goes. In another state, it was from right down here, from downtown Brooklyn. No matter where she went, he was going to get there, and she wanted him there. So now I'm beginning to struggle. Because it's very hard to pastor a church when your oldest girl who you love, that's like your right hand, is away from God. How do you preach when your heart is broken? How do you preach when you don't know where your daughter is? 
Try that one on for size. You don't know where she is. Don't know her location. And then God began to deal with me. You preached about prayer. I've showed you truths about prayer, but now I'm going to take you into the postgraduate, <laughs> postgraduate work. And then I realized only God will turn this around. Not me, not my wife, not anybody, not money, not hoping, not wishing, not crying, not feeling sorry for yourself. So the battle was on. And then the Lord has time went by she had a baby out of wedlock my oldest granddaughter she's just out there she just thinks up is down down is up and the Lord lays it upon my heart stop talking to her because you're only making it worse just talk to me. You know, sometimes in life, the more you talk, the worse it gets. You got to draw a line and just say, you know what? God, you're going to do this or it's not going to be done. End of story. End of story. At certain times. So that was about in October. What a sad Thanksgiving that was. You know, it doesn't matter how good the turkey is. Rice and beans ain't all that, and I love rice and beans. <laughs> but when you're not with your, the one you love, doesn't matter. Christmas, they're handing me gifts. I'm giving to my other children. My heart was in the basement. I wanted that door to open and my, my Chrissy to come in. You all know those feelings? Can you understand what I'm talking about? Well, what could I do? I did everything. Tried everything, and now it's just me and God. And why I'm sharing this tonight is one night on a Saturday night preparing for Sunday, and I didn't even know how I would make it through. I, I drove in crying the whole day. I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. Because how much can you cry and still function? So I'd start the car, start crying, drive in from Queens where I live. Now I live down the block from you all. But drive in and be crying until I pulled up in front of the church and I'd have to cry out to God and say, God, please hold me together because I can't come in there and have a breakdown in front of the congregation. And people are saying to me after the meeting, oh, Pastor Simbola, what a good word you delivered. And they didn't even know I was hanging by a thread. I was hanging by a thread. See, always remember, when you see people and you see brothers and sisters, you don't know what they're going through. Because I hid it from everyone as best as I could. Because I don't want to be the center of traction. I'm there for the people. The people aren't there for me. Preacher's supposed to be a servant, not a big deal. Right? So, Christmas was a mess. I haven't talked to her now for months. 
She's somewhere in the city. Ended up staying with someone we knew. It was a good place to stay. Got a little baby. And then on a prayer meeting on a Tuesday night, just like you're having now on Thursday night, somebody sends a note up to me. I spoke on Acts chapter 4. And they prayed, and the place, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. And this note comes up to me and says, I think as we're supposed to pray, there's going to be a breakthrough for your daughter tonight. So I looked at it. I wanted to measure that and try to ask God, discern, is this somebody just feeling bad for me? Or is this somebody that's in the spirit? So I waited till our prayers were over for that thing. And then I said, I got this note. And I said, we're supposed to pray for my daughter. I haven't said much. My daughter's totally out there. She thinks two and two is nine. She thinks up is down, down is up. Only God can help her. I handed the microphone to a, an associate pastor who has gone on to be with the Lord. He let out in prayer, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, I can hear the sound now like a labor room. You ever hear women give birth? They're not whistling Dixie in there. They're, they're, there's some stuff going on. But remember, there's a verse in the Old Testament, when Zion travails, then she'll bring forth. But this was no worked up thing with an organ or someone yelling at the people. This was God, the Holy Spirit, causing people to pray for one person, my Chrissy. That night that we prayed, she lay down to sleep where she was and felt the power of Satan in the room. But then God broke through. And she ended up coming just about the next morning to my house. I hadn't seen her. I told you I hadn't talked to her. I don't know how long I'd seen her and walked into the house. My wife ran upstairs. I was shaving, had shaved cream on me, and she said, Chrissy's downstairs, but you better talk to her. I went downstairs. She took the baby, my wife did, from her arms. I went in the kitchen. I can see her now. She had jeans on. She was on her hands and knees in the, in the uh, kitchen. I went and I said, Chrissy, she grabbed a hold of my pants and started pulling on my pants and saying, Daddy, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God, most importantly. I've sinned against myself. Daddy, Jesus came and visited me. And then she lifted herself up. I saw her face had changed. I knew she was my old daughter. She was the daughter we raised. And the first thing she looked at me, she put her finger and she said, who did you have praying Tuesday night for me? Who prayed for me? Who prayed for me? Just tell me who prayed for me. I said, it just so happens we did pray for you. And then she told me God visited me. I had like a dream, a vision. I was going 95 miles an hour toward an abyss, toward a pit. And I was going to go over the edge. And at the last second, he caught me. 
And daddy, instead of yelling at me, he didn't yell at me. He told me he loved me. And I found out one more time that God answers people when they call upon him. Listen, you don't know when. You don't know how he'll do it. You don't know when he'll do it. Don't put God in a box. His ways are not our ways. But I'm telling you, he will answer when you call. Everyone just stay concentrating on me. He will answer when you call. And some of you have someone real close to you, don't you? Everyone close your eyes. I don't want you to pray for a hundred different things. Those of you who have a son or a daughter, sister, mother, father, they are out there. And you want to stand in the gap for them. You want to stand like I stood for my Chrissy the best I could by God's grace and prayed and wouldn't quit, wouldn't give up. God gave me stubbornness to just keep praying. If you have someone who needs to be delivered from darkness into light, have chains broken off their minds, stop believing the lies of the enemy. With us, it's impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. There's not one single person that's too hard for God. If you have someone who you're burdened for, some of you are weeping while I'm talking, that must be the Holy Spirit telling you to believe God for that person. Get up out of your seat and come up and stand here in front of me. Come on, bring that person with you.